Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Living Word Family Church. I hope we're all tuning in together. Hope you enjoyed the time of praise and worship. Uh, sure is glad to have. I sure am glad to have our our band back together doing this for us. Thank you, band. Um, here we are, week I don't know what fifty seven of the shelter in place order. Sure seems like it's been going on a long time. Can't wait to get back together. Meanwhile, thanks again for tuning in. Thank you also if you're tuning in, um, and you're not a part of Living Word Family Church. Good to have you with us for this service. Whenever it is you're tuning in. If you've got a church, stay faithful, stay supportive to that church. If you're looking for one, I believe you've found it. If you're in driving distance, we'd love to see you when the doors are open again. Um, Let's begin with a word of prayer and get into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, and thank you again for the tools you've given us, the talent you've placed in the body uh, to continue to share the word in this way, to share worship in this way, and to continue to connect in this way. We just pray, Lord, that you are in this service, that you are in our homes just as you are in our hearts, that you speak to us and that you speak through me, that you would anoint my lips this morning to speak your word clearly, accurately, boldly, and effectively. In Jesus' name, amen. Also, don't forget, it's Communion Sunday, Uh, so I hope you have your crackers and juice or whatever you're going to use for the communion elements handy because we will flow into that right at the end of the sermon. If you need to put it on pause really quick to go get those, that's fine. But you don't want to miss a word of this. I heard a quote. Uh, I was watching a short documentary the other day. I think some of you have seen it too. I'm not going to refer to it because uh, I'm just not ready to comment on it. doesn't matter. Uh, what struck me was the lady who was the feature on this documentary was sharing what some things that she felt are, the, among other things, the wrong approach to how we're handling this coronavirus epidemic. And she said toward the end that her goal was to teach doctors and others what she knew so that they could, quote, restore faith in the promise of medicine, unquote. And I get what she's saying. We sometimes use the phrase shows promise uh, when somebody is undertaking certain activities hobbies, studies, sports. Uh, I have a friend uh, who lives in what they call an intentional community, what used to be known as a commune. And this is a Christian community, and they pool their resources. And every uh, member of this community is given a small amount of discretionary income, but all major purchases have to be approved and decided on by the community at large. And in in one particular case, there was a girl who was taking violin lessons. And if she was going to continue to improve after a certain point, if she was going to take it up another level, she needed a real instrument, not just a practice instrument. And we're talking about a violin that costs several thousand dollars. So this had to be, the group had to get together to make a decision on whether it was appropriate to spend that much money that belonged to the community on this instrument. And the question, one of the main questions was, did she show enough promise to justify that expenditure? But isn't it still a gamble? They don't know if the early promise 
is going to materialize down the road. They, you can't guarantee that the girl's going to remain interested uh, five years, ten years down the road. But used like that, the word promise doesn't even mean promise, does it? Unless, you know, promises like rules are made to be broken. Scientists, I've heard this so many times watching uh, different little video clips and, and reading things where a scientist is quoted as saying, I can promise you there will be someday an asteroid or a comet that will strike the earth with the same impact and the same effect of the one that killed the dinosaurs millions of years ago. Um, they'll say, I can promise you it's not a matter of if but when a volcanic eruption uh, will... Uh, destroy part of the North American continent. And I can promise you there is going to be another pandemic. Now what they're talking about is statistical likelihood, even mathematical certainty. They're probably right because of the odds, because of history and the science behind their predictions. They're not even specifying or pretending to know when or where, for instance, this asteroid is, uh, where, when it will hit. Uh, same thing with the next pandemic. Again, they're probably true predictions, but they're not real promises, even though they use that language. A promise is an oath. A promise announces intention and at least implies the ability to fulfill that promise. Again, a promise is not 100% statistical likelihood. It's not mathematical certainty. It is personal. A promise involves the will. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 18, we read, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? You know, we spoke last week about speaking in agreement with the word of God. And it's amazing how many ministers I hear and have heard, uh, ministers who are hostile to what they think the word of faith preaches, but what, they are, what they're saying is actually the word of faith. They agree with the principle of speaking and acting in agreement with God's word. They agree with the, the, the truth of the power of the tongue. Uh, sometimes it seems like we're only disagreeing on what we believe God has indeed promised. And those are some things that we are going to look at in the near future in some detail, but not today. There's a couple of other basic principles I want to nail down first. Um, and again, we cannot please God without faith. We are called to live by faith. But true faith, biblically speaking, is always built on the Word of God. Faith begins where the will of God is known. How many times have you heard that? Now, I believe God can make his will known for you personally, to you specifically. For instance, you will not find a verse in the Bible telling you to take a particular job. You'll not find a verse in the Bible that you can quote that is telling you at this time to go to Bible school, to marry a certain person. But God will lead you to the right choices with right desires. He'll lead you by those desires. He will lead you with prophecy. He can lead you with dreams and visions and certainly with wise counsel. But none of these things, if they are of God, will ever contradict the written word of God. 
I've actually known of people, known people, who have heard from God uh, that they are supposed to divorce their spouse and marry somebody else. Uh, there are extreme examples of people who would claim that they heard God speak to them and tell them to murder their family. One of the very first novels written on, in the North American continent uh, was based on that particular idea. And the central character of this novel was uh, religious and spiritual, and he wanted nothing more than the privilege of hearing God speak to him personally. And so when it came right down to it, it didn't matter what God said to him. And uh, so he was able to be tricked into believing that a voice he heard told him to do something that deep down inside he knew was wrong. And it's supposed to be this uh, huge moral dilemma for the reader. Because after all, he thought he heard from God, how can you blame him? But he had no solid piece of truth to measure this utterance against. So if somebody prophesies something to you, it's so important to know what the Word of God says because that's what we measure and judge prophecy by. Now, let me uh, give another quick example. I had a girl in youth group years ago uh, who told me that God told her it was okay to move in with her boyfriend. The list is endless. It's, it's frankly how uh, amazing just how many people are looking for justification for bad decisions, even sinful decisions, for just about anything, when I think, wouldn't it be easier just to not believe in God? Anyway, let me emphasize this first. I do believe in prophecy and dreams and visions. And yes, I do believe God can and does lead us individually, that he reveals his will for us specifically in any number of ways. And uh, some of those moments of knowing can be quite moving. Uh, they're certainly supernatural and uh, in some cases actually spectacular. But I want you to look at 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, it says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor, and glory, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. This, of course, is a reference to the transfiguration. This is when Peter, James, and John accompanied Jesus to the top of a mountain. And they saw him there they saw Jesus glorified, not as just as a mere man, but as the glorified Son of God. And Elijah appeared with him, and Moses appeared with him, and they actually heard God's voice from heaven saying this. And Peter here is reminding those who would be reading this epistle that he was there, man. He, he himself had seen with his own eyes the things that he was writing about. And he could have stopped there because that really would be enough in most cases to establish your bona fides, your credentials. I was with Jesus and saw him glorified and heard the voice of the Father. But he goes on to write this beginning in verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts 
knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, do you see what he's saying here? It's an important combination of two closely related ideas. One is that the experience of witnessing the transfiguration served to confirm for Peter what was written in the scriptures. The other is that the scriptures themselves are what we should look to and cling to. That the written word of God is not some sort of second class substitute for hearing from God. Uh, I like the way, in fact, that the, mo the modern English version puts verse 19. The beginning of it actually says this, and we have a more reliable word of prophecy. You see, I believe what Peter here is saying is, thank God for the divine revelation and experiences like the one that I had with Jesus on the mountaintop, the vision that I had, uh, that people have, uh, and experiences like this. But the written word of God is more sure, more reliable. It is the thing you should heed, the thing you should cling to, especially as things around you get dark. Now let's move on. We believe that God speaks to us, first and foremost, through his written word. If we believe, we should obey, and we absolutely should speak in agreement with that written word. And when we do that, we are walking in the authority, in the victory, and in the manifestation of all of his promises. But we have an enemy. When we speak and act in agreement with God, we walk in victory. The victory that Christ won over Satan with his death and his resurrection. So his best weapon, our enemy's best weapon, the most successful thing that he, the devil, can do is to keep us from believing, keep us from obeying, and keep us from speaking the word of God. And he does and always has done this in one of two ways. If he's going to keep us from believing and acting on and speaking the word of God, he always starts here. Look at Genesis uh, chapter 3. The first thing he does is to try to stir up doubt concerning what God has said. Genesis 1 and 2 talk about creation. Genesis 2 specifically uh, gives some more detail on the creation of man. And then in Genesis chapter 3, it says this, beginning in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, the command not to eat of the tree was very clearly given. We can read it in Genesis chapter 2. In verse 16, it says, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Pretty clear. But who knows how long it had been since God had said that. We don't really have a timeline. Maybe the serpent was hoping she had forgotten or misremembered some details. Look at that tree. Look at that fruit. Isn't it going to waste with nobody eating it? How? It makes no sense not to eat it. It's just arbitrary. And you know God. He's not an arbitrary God. He doesn't say things just to say things. Are you sure he said that? That's not like him. How can something so attractive and so beautiful, so pleasant, 
be bad for you, let alone kill you. But good for Eve. She replied in verse 2, Genesis chapter 3, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay, so he failed to convince her that God uh, didn't say that. So he moves to his next tactic. If he can't shake you concerning what God has said, he will try to shake you concerning God's character. Verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that on the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, God maybe said that, but that's not true. What he said is not true. He's got ulterior motives. He knows what you will become if you eat it. And he's selfish. He wants to be the only one. God does not have your best interests at heart. And verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasing to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave to her husband with her, and he ate. They both made the decision. They both disobeyed God. When she saw that the tree... Look at, look at 1 John uh, chapter 2. In verse 15 it says this, uh, beginning in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. She saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh. That it was pleasing to the eyes, lust of the eyes. Desirable to make one wise, pride of life. Same devil, same scheme, same temptations. And she fell for it. He fell for it too. They knew the word, but somehow doubted the character of the one who spoke it. I don't know how that's possible, but they believed the lie. Our faith is not merely in God's word, but in God's character, which is revealed in his word and confirmed through our experiences with him. Another scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 11. And this is the hall of faith where we see example after example of great Old Testament men and women of faith. And it says in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 11, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. The promise, of course, was made to Abraham and Sarah in their old age that they would have a son. And that promise was almost unbelievable in and of itself. So how did she believe? Because she eventually talked herself into believing the promise was believable? No, because God was believable. She didn't judge the promise, she judged God and therefore could receive the promise. In Romans chapter 4, speaking of the same promise, in Romans chapter 4 beginning in verse 19, we read of this, we read this of Abraham, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead 
since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, I want to take a minute here. I generally read out of the New King James Version. I won't go into all the reasons right now. But when I'm preparing, I often cross-reference different translations for, for clarity. And this is one of those rare cases where there is a significant difference that's worth talking about. It ultimately doesn't change the meaning of the passage. It doesn't contradict uh, Scripture. It doesn't contradict anything. The upshot is the same, is that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he received the promise. But a better translation of this passage is the New American Standard Bible, which reads this way. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. You see, the, the difference, the only difference, but it's an important one, and I'll tell you why in a second, is that in one case, he did not consider his own body, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't consider his age, the biological odds. And in the other case, in the better translation, he does consider his body. He considers the circumstances. Why is this important? Especially since the outcome is the same, no matter how, how it reads uh, in the translations. It's important because I've heard teachings, and many of you have too, saying that it's, if you so much as consider the circumstances, then you are not in faith. Look, God gave you your senses, and he gave you sense. You consider circumstances, and I do too, every day. I uh, was looking at the weather report for this weekend, and I decided, based on those circumstances, that I was not going to put out my tomato plants because of the frost warning. And the difference is, if God told me, and I was convinced it was God speaking to me, to go ahead and plant tomatoes this weekend, I'd either have to ignore those circumstances or at least weigh them against God's promise. This is what Abraham did. Abraham was a wise man. He was a smart man. And he heard the promise and he weighed it against his circumstances. I'm an old man. My wife is an old woman. Biologically speaking, we are unable to have children. But God said we would have a son. What's my conclusion? We will have a son. Because it's God who said it, not because the promise makes a lot of sense. Here's an important takeaway from this. Because guilt, the devil will use this. Well-meaning brothers and sisters will hit us with this, and it won't, we won't find it encouraging. Uh, this idea that if you're even considering the circumstances, you're not in faith. Well, then we were defeated. I already considered the circumstances. Listen, you are not in faith just because you know the promise. You are not in doubt just because you consider the circumstances. And the promise will not always contradict the circumstances. Sometimes the promise makes sense. But when a promise from God contradicts the circumstances you are in, you have a choice. And you are in doubt when you remain loyal 
to your conclusion about the circumstances in defiance of the promise. When you know God's character, you judge Him faithful. And then, knowing God like that, you cling to the promise. And you speak in agreement with that promise. And you step over that threshold into the realm of faith. That's where we please God. That's where we live. Living Word family, listen to me. If you haven't figured it out by now, you will have. As long as we are in these bodies and on this earth, an endless supply of opportunities to doubt the Word of God. Circumstances will arise that are contrary to His promises. And they will hammer you with doubt. They will try to hammer you with doubt. And there, listen, there is so much information to absorb and sort through daily with just this COVID-19 mess. We can't possibly consistently make good choices based only on our senses and our sense. There's too much information, too much conflicting information to sift through. So you know what? We are in a time, perhaps certainly, like no other time in our lives, where we have to trust God. Not only for protection and healing and supply, but for wisdom and guidance. Do you really think that God is confused by this? That he doesn't understand every single detail of what's going on? Do you honestly think that God is struggling to keep up like we sometimes feel like we are? And do you think he is purposely hiding from us direction and wisdom and truth? Maybe we need to expand our confession of faith. By all means, you continue to, to say over yourself, over your household, I am healed, I am abundantly supplied, and I walk in divine protection. But also say this, I am a child of God and my Father speaks to me. He loves me and gives me wisdom generously. I can hear the voice of my Father and when I read His word, I understand it. And I understand how it applies to me and my circumstances. This is not just for your benefit. Yes, this is for you and it is for your household. It is for your church and it is a light in a dark world. Do not hide that light from a world that needs it now more than ever. It's a secure feeling. To know the character of God, because as you read his word, you see the promises he gives us are good promises. And when we connect those good promises to his flawless character and realize how much he loves us, then it's easy to believe these good things. And that's super important in these dark times to remind ourselves and be convinced that even in the midst of all this stuff, he has a great plan for us, that he loves us very much, and that his promises are not null and void just because circumstances took us by surprise and turned our way of life upside down. Listen, if you long for that kind of security, you need to know that that security only comes with knowing God's character. You must be born again. It's Mother's Day. 
And I didn't preach a Mother's Day sermon. I typically don't. I've told you why before. Uh, but I'll take this opportunity to say thank you, Pam Millis, my mom. Uh, I love my dad, and he's taught me so much. He's been a great pastor and a great father, but it is my mother who ultimately brought me to the point of salvation. She's the one who made the gospel clear to me. And by the way, just a couple of days ago, I celebrated my 44th rebirthday. 44 years ago this week, I committed my life to Christ, asked him into my heart to be my Lord and my Savior, and he came, and it's made all the difference. If that security is something that you are interested in, that you recognize now that you need, you need to be born again as well. That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that you must be born again. That's what he died and rose again to offer. I don't know who said it first, but I love what I've heard Ravi Zacharias say uh, dozens of times, that Jesus did not come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live. New life is what he offers. I'm going to close this message now with a prayer. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer of salvation. If you want to make that decision today, if you want to become a child of God today, pray with me when we get to that part. You know, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your promises. Thank you for the word and thank you, Lord, that not only do we read your promises in your word, we learn and come in face to face with your character in the word. And we thank you for the living Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit indwelling us and revealing you to us, revealing Jesus to us day by day, becoming more and more alive and real to us. And Father, arrest us whenever we get a wrong picture of you in our mind. Uh, correct us, Lord, and remind us just how much you love us, just how good your promises and plans for us are, and help us to trust you more and forgive us when we have trusted you less. We thank you for the wisdom and guidance that you have made abundantly available to us. Remind us to exercise our faith for those things, not just healing, provision, and protection, for which we also thank you, by the way. Heavenly Father, I now lift up any person who's hearing this in their homes, in their car, wherever they happen to be hearing this message, who doesn't know you. Father, I pray that you would convict them of their need for salvation, that they would recognize that they, like every person ever born since Adam and Eve, have been born into sin, in need of a Savior, and that you offer that new life. You offer that salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ, your Son. If you want to pray that prayer right now, this is where we pray. Heaven, uh, dear Lord God, I am a sinner and I need to be saved. I do believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and I believe that you have raised him from the dead. I desire that new life and I understand that there's nothing I can do to earn it. So I come before you and throw myself on your mercy and gladly receive that which you freely offered through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Spirit, fill me and empower me to be the son that you have just made me to be. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of salvation, for the promises, promise of eternal life in your presence. Thank you, Father, for making me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just made that decision, we so want to hear from you. Send us a message, call us, comment on uh, Facebook or something. Let us know you made that decision, and we'd love to help you get plugged into a church. Love to get you plugged into this church if you're nearby. Before we close out, 
Uh, let's receive from the Lord's table together. Um, I hope you have your, your elements ready, whatever it is that, that you're using. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read, beginning in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. This is Paul writing. That the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, I am always moved, deeply moved. When we do communion together, you know, our gathering, our assembly, which we haven't done in a while, that assembly itself is one of the holiest things that we do. One of the most important things we do to honor our Lord is to come together. But in that gathering, perhaps the most sacred thing that we do, that we observe, is this ordinance given to us by Jesus himself, given to us to remember, to remember his body, a human body, a real body that suffered tremendous pain and brokenness so that we could be made whole, so that we could be healed. And so that we could appreciate that we, in fact, are the body of Christ. And to remember his blood, his sinless blood, that was poured out to cleanse us from sin. That was presented as a sin offering to a holy God, who now, because of that blood, sees us as holy. When we realize that God sees us as righteous, it absolutely establishes us in faith. He's not holding anything against us. Everything that he had against us was dealt with at the cross. This is a wonderful, this moment is a wonderful opportunity to remember that. And I thank God for the opportunity to share it with you simultaneously, even if we can't be physically together. Listen, if you're a believer uh, and you're not a part of Living Word Family Church, we invite you to join us in this, even if you just became a believer a few minutes ago. With that prayer we prayed. Let's take the bread. Lord God, thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the wholeness that we enjoy today in our physical bodies and in our corporate body as an expression of your body, that you were broken so that we could be made whole. Let us remember, Lord, that you came in, into a body like ours and suffered a very physical death as our substitute. Father, I pray that every one of us receives the healing that you've made available to us through that brokenness as we thank you for this bread in Jesus' name. Take the cup. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross willingly for us, for the joy that was set before you to see us reconciled to the Father. Thank you for the cleansing that takes place because of the blood. 
Thank you for the righteousness that is ours because of this blood. Help us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the righteousness with which you see us. Help us to glorify you with our lives just as you have forgiven us with your blood. Thank you for the cup in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Hope you have a great day. I'm praying for you. I miss you like crazy living word. Can't wait to see you again. Keep the notes coming. Keep the emails and the comments coming. Keep the home fires burning. Stay in touch with me. Stay in touch with one another. You are a blessing and you are blessed. God continue to bless you and your family and we will see you soon. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.